0: Uh-oh. Last time
1: I saw you, uh, we were in a bar somewhere, and it was me, uh, you, Malin Manson, and Courtney Love,
0: Natalie and and Natalie Kylie
1: Minogue. And, some, and Kylie Kelly and Kylie and somebody came up to us and said, "What is this? A bloody nineties supergroup <laughs> or something?" <laughs> oh, that was a fun night. It's me, Skin, and welcome to another episode of Skin Tings, a podcast where I spill the tea with some of my favourite musicians and artists. To all of you who've already liked and subscribed to the podcast or left a comment, thank you. You're all legends. I love you. (laughs) In this episode of Skin Tings, I wanted to go back to my first ever interview on Absolute Radio, back in November when I caught up with my old mate Billy Corgan about the new Smashing Pumpkins album, Seer as well as the 25th anniversary of their legendary Melancholy and Infinite sadness record. Enjoy. How's it going? How was your lockdown so far? Are you back in lockdown? Have you been out? Have you been back in?
0: I've basically been in lockdown since about March and I've just recorded like crazy. I think I'm working on about 45 songs at the same time.
1: Oh my God. (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah. I feel crazy not because of COVID. I feel crazy because of the work. And then I go out in the world and I'm like, oh yeah, there's this other thing going on, which sounds terrible, but it, it's been my way of responding to the, to the, yeah. to the that everybody's going through is just to work.
1: So for you, is it like a bit of a silver lining is a bit of a kind of like, I mean, I'm trying to look for silver linings in all of this because I'm, I realize that for most people, it's a horrendous situation. Um, for artists, it's kind of like, okay, well, I get, I get a time to be creative.
0: Yeah, it, although it's really hard because, you know, like, for example, I have two little kids, five and two. They don't get to yeah. go play with their, their mates, you know. Um, yeah. So it's hard to get too in the in the zone of change because you're so aware of what's happening. And obviously, a lot of people are going through hard times. Yeah. And as an artist, you're so, always sort of responsive on some level to your environment. But um, yeah, for me, I think it's been that almost like a forced look at your life type of moment, um, you know, well, I am 53 and, and maybe it was time to, to, to slow it down for, for a moment and, and really look at kind of where I've been. And I, I, the number one thing is to just have this incredible appreciation for the, for the support that I've had through the years. Uh, you know, I've had my, I've had my whiny moments about it all, but overall I feel really blessed and happy. And so I, I kind of, I know this sounds a little bit fatalistic, but I kind of tell myself like, well, if it never—if this is the end, like you can yeah. never play it again, and this was the end, you've had a great, fantastic time. It kind of gives me a sober perspective on on what I yeah. did have, and what I miss, and what's still important. And so, I think many of us will come into, let's call it, the post-COVID era with a different appreciation of of when we can get together, when we can commune, when we can celebrate what you know things that we really did take for granted you know
1: no but it's interesting because I think as a musician I, I think this is the one thing I think we're used to being creative in lots of different environments around the tour buses and this I think this is one thing that we could never have predicted that actually the whole world would just have to stop um and we would have to look at because for me I'm just very curious about how it's going to be once we get back out into the world because it seems to me like gigs I mean I do we do gigs everything we're doing there's going to be a brand new way to do it and it's going to affect everything that we're doing from now on um do you feel that sense of foreboding i mean are you happy to get back out on stage or are you kind of uh feeling like you don't know what it's going to be like what the landscape is going to be like
0: well i can't i can't speak for the rest of the world but i know in america the fear-mongering has been so great that i i think that even if if they came out of a box tomorrow and said everything's fine everybody go back to the way it was before it just won't because i think people are scared yeah as i tell my friends the next time you're at a a football game or a, a, a concert and somebody coughs over your shoulder, the first thing you're going to think is the worst, you know, you're not going to sort of. Yeah, just I shrug like, it off and, <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, we, we've we all, you know, we go to, we go to sporting things and we go to concerts and, and the, the attraction is escapism and, mm-hmm. and reminded with the horrible events, like with what happened with the Ariana Grande concert with the terrorism, you know, when, when, when yeah. you're reminded that the world, you know, the terrible things in the world still happen, and it mixes and matches with what is basically a fantasy playground. It's it's a, it, it, or what happened in France. You know, um, it's really hard to sort of put those pieces together. But up until this point, we've always been able to kind of go, well, okay, let's go back to going to concerts, and everybody kind of moves on. This seems like it's going to be different. And I I don't I I don't I don't consider myself intelligent enough to predict how people are going to react. But my sense is it's going to take a very very long time for things to go back to normal and my guess is because it would take a long time for it to go back to normal in the interim it'll the business will just change and artists will figure yeah. out a new way to, to dramatically play. shift yeah yeah and so an artist like yeah. uh, yourself or myself might go you know what where before I would have done a forty-eight day tour now I'm only going to play five shows and I'll do all this other stuff online because the economics are different and my time is different and I I've re-prioritized the way I I interact with my life and
1: yeah here we hear
0: you and I are talking you know via technology you know um it's just which the I love.
1: It is. I to, I, That's the one thing I love You know, the idea of like Having to do interviews in your own home Where you just go into a lovely space And do a thousand interviews And then go up, up into the kitchen And make a cup of tea For me, that's fantastic I am loving that bit Listen, but I want to ask you something I mean, I know you have an, um, an, an album uh, Some singles and an album coming Which I've heard um, a few singles of Which I've got a lot of questions about this. I don't know if we'll get them all in Fantastic, by the way But can I ask you about the wrestling? Or as my mum would say, the wrestling because <laughs> I I don't know if I'm like you, but I used to watch a wrestling big daddy um, oh, All yeah. these kind of characters on British television when I was a kid with my mum And I loved it, how did you get into it?
0: Well, the fir- the first part is when I was a kid, I watched it, you know, uh, on Saturday mornings and, yeah. uh, and, and it was just this crazy fantasy world of these big burly men, mostly men at the time And, uh, you know, just kicking the bejesus out of each other and calling each other names <laughs> And uh, and because of the way it worked back then, they would promote everything on television. And then the, you know, the actual sort of completion of the angle would take place in an arena downtown here in Chicago. So I never saw yeah. I never got to go. So I would only see the buildup, but I never saw the finish. And then so yeah. I only see the buildups. So I think I kind of got into the idea of all that. And then uh, one quick twist is that the man who who ran the company here in Chicago, I bought all his memorabilia from his family. So I have wow. all the stuff that was associated oh my God. with <laughs> As a kid, which is pretty cool. try so all your childhood
1: try, try, try heroes, you have them all there.
0: I do. And then, uh, and, then, uh, and then I just kind of found myself going to shows in the late 90s. There was kind of, a, there was kind of an alternative revolution in wrestling in the 90s through a company called ECW, so, which was very influential. And I became friends with some of the wrestlers, and they started explaining this crazy business. And next thing you know, I'm working in it. And next thing I know, I'm owning the oldest uh, brand in, 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 in the world, the National Wrestling Alliance, wow. which is 72 years old now.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was reading about it. I was like intrigued because I know that as musicians, one of the things we have to do with ourselves is do something completely different, unrelated. Otherwise, we literally would drive a what is your starting? Sorry, sorry
0: to interview you, but what is your what is your, what is your your other thing that you'd like to do or other things? Do
1: you know, I'm actually um, a trained uh, interior architect, so I love property houses. I, know oh, I didn't I, know that. at, so, It's what I did. I went to art school before I actually got into um, uh, what, you know, what, I was still do music. I'm learning music, but I didn't think I could be a musician Uh, um, I was from this uh, small black community in Brixton Um, and so uh, yeah I love property I love outdoorsy outdoorsy when you're like a a little british inner city child anything to do with outdoors is just a fantastic revelation so um Mm. i'm you know i'm really into cactuses it's weird
0: (laughs) well well, not not to brag because it's not my thing to brag but i i live in an an old 1920s estate home built by an architect named david david adler
1: Lovely. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, love it, yeah. and
0: I've also now uh, owned the front property, which was the original coach house. So I've kind of reunited the property after many, many years. And and as you know, living in an architectural home is, is sort of a great pleasure. It's like living it in is. a work of art. Um, yeah. So I, I can appreciate your love for it.
1: Yeah, I absolutely love it. Um, And it's uh, just something that's in my heart. You know, I love nature. I love being outside. I love growing things and, and stuff like that, I guess, because it's such an alien thing. Uh, maybe I should put a wrestling ring out well, there, and you can come visit me well <laughs> listen I want to talk about um back to the music I mean uh, I know you're celebrating two things Melancholy and Infinite sadness. uh what an album I remember being in a in a King's Cross with this kind of Dirty group of rockers that we were all in And uh, that was the album that we played religiously And obviously, you know, the two albums before um, How are you feeling about that album now In terms of being able to reflect on it And being able to see um see in its true light because uh, I mean I remember mean, our first album it didn't come out it took a year to come out after we recorded it so uh-huh. I kind of hated it for ages because we by that time we'd done five British tours and I felt like oh we're so much better and now I kind of appreciate it do you have sure. any kind of things that you feel about the album that in hindsight you just feel differently about
0: um no in in a weird kind of way it was what we thought it was um yeah and Better and worse. Um, Quick, quick reflections. It was probably the best time in the band until until really recently. Um, It was the original four members. We got along really, really well during the sessions. Our issues were generally personal, not musical. So for us to have a clean atmosphere around the music making was was very helpful to the to the environment of making the record. Uh, we worked with two great, you know, English producers, Flood and Alan Mulder. I'm sure you crossed paths with someone. Yeah, yeah, I
1: know Alan. He, he did some stuff for me too. For, yeah, well, fantastic. For yeah. So Incredible blessed guy. by
0: these incredibly talented men who who really supported us. Um, you know, uh, quickly, Siamese Dream was like the shiny, perfect toy. Um, yeah. We were under tremendous pressure to make this album to compete with Nirvana and Pearl Jam and the new world that had been ushered in by the success of Nevermind. Um And what was great about Melancholy was Flood came in and said, I don't want the shiny toy. I want the band that actually plays on stage. I want the mean, I want the mean, (laughs) you really are. I want the the darkness. I want all that stuff.
1: Yeah. I mean, uh, all three of those albums are completely different, which is what I love about you. You know, you never tried to be the grunge. You never tried to do this. You always like the naughty little kind of doing your own thing in some ways.
0: (laughs) That's very accurate, actually, and um, and so we flood allowed us to embrace our sort of you know true kind of nihilistic dark nature, and so it really yeah. comes out in the tones. Um, quick, quick story, um, you know, you know, you, you've made albums, you know, you go and you track the drums and then you do the bass. Yeah. And you know all that stuff. flood, flood didn't want that from us. He would have us uh, come in for an hour each day and we would rehearse just like normal band rehearsal before cool. we would do any recording. So then Jimmy was totally warmed up. And then when we did takes for songs like uh, Bullet With Butterfly Wings or, or mm. you know, whatever, we, we'd actually track as the band at full volume. We wow. had a rehearsal space. We recorded most of it in the rehearsal space. We would record at full concert volume. We had a full mm. PA in there. I mean, it was like, it would make your teeth rattle. It was so loud. So all those tracks, the drum tracks that Jimmy cut were like cut full like yeah, and you've map.
1: got the vibe and the energy in the, the yeah. kind of, uh, in there. Yeah.
0: And then we would go back and kind of rebuild from the bottom. But but there's yeah. a sort of violence in the way that we went about it. And I, and I think yeah. that part really holds up. I'm almost sort of shocked 25 years later at the kind of the, the underneath violence in the record. And it's very much something that goes with youth you know, it goes mm-hmm. with faith, it goes with blind belief in a bunch of concepts, which you ultimately figure out maybe aren't as real as you thought they were. But I think we lean so hard into that vibe, it really kind of, it permeates everything. And then on the other side, you have this kind of weird sweetness, you know, yeah. almost like early theme punk, like, we only come out at night or Lily, like these weird kind of disassociative tracks about, you know, God knows what, you know. So <laughs> um, it was really scattered. It was an explosion in in, in my writing, I think I wrote over fifty songs for that record. We ultimately released fifty seven songs, I think, during that album cycle. Uh, yeah. 28 28 B sides and uh, a huge
1: 28- amount of material to get through. Yeah.
0: yeah.
1: I mean and, in those and, days we did though. I mean I mean we we wrote like I don't know sixty five songs for our first album. I and mean, it's so like, in those days you just like bam 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 one after the other and and then you kind of collate the the, the best tracks and the goodness yeah. of it and put it together in yeah. and, and something that seems cohesive.
0: Yeah. So the last thing I would say, say about it is is it? It was really the end of that band. You know yeah. what I mean? We were ne- we were never the same. Uh, it's you know all that stuff's publicly documented, and I'm very I feel very blessed that we have three of us in the room again. But it was the end of that band. Whatever that band was about, yeah. you got a clear rocket shot from Gish to Siamese to Melancholy. The rocket exploded, and and everything that's ever followed since really is sort of been in some sort of weird shadow of that. And I don't mean that as a negative. It's just like a it's just like how a great uh, love relationship that goes wrong will kind of break your heart. You're never quite the same, but you, you have a different sense of things. That record was like the thing that took us to the top and threw us over the mountain. And, wow. and in many ways, our life has been defined ever since by it. So it's great to celebrate it. It's, it's remarkable that people are still interested in the record. And I don't have, and I, it, unlike some of the other records, I don't have any negative feelings about it. It's a, a very, more like a pride, like a happy, glad it's still there kind of thing. Exactly,
1: and and you know, it's wonderful to actually take that perspective. You take that perspective, and then you launch that into 2020 in what is a completely different environment. Um, You're back working with James and Jimmy, and uh, how is the songwriting process now? Because obviously um, you've got like a, a completely different sound, but it is still Smashing Pumpkins. I mean, I'm I'm hearing vibrato and harmonies, you know, it's like, you know, <laughs> Billy Corgan's got vibrato going on there on Wrath. I was like, woo! I'm
0: getting my Judy Garland, my late Judy Garland.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's new, that's vibrato. that's a new way of singing, you know, it's, for you, it feels to me, it's like fresh as daisies. Uh, how, right. is, uh, how is the songwriting process now? I mean, the tracks are um, amazing and I love the um, animation that's come along with it too. Oh, thank you. How, how did you put it all together?
0: Yeah, you know, very similar, honestly, um, you know, most of the stuff that people would associate with the band, I would pretty much write at home, kind of figure out what I wanted. Then I'd ask the band to put their two cents in. Almost always it gets better and kind of goes yeah. in a different direction than I thought. And then kind of becomes this kind of negotiation from there. Um, and, and what's beautiful is like, you know, after all so many years of working together, you know, 30, not total, but 30 in length. Um, you know, the communication is very, very quick. We're able to work yeah. really, really fast. And, and what I really love, and and what I'm so proud of, if, if we have any internal legacy at all, it's that uh, they've been so supportive. If I really feel like I'm on to something musically that they've totally supportive. So yeah, because some fans get grumpy, because, you know, Jimmy Chamberlain is one of the best drummers in the world, and they want to see Absolutely. him go off yeah. all the time. What's amazing to me about a Jimmy Chamberlain is he's just as happy to play a song like Sear, where he's literally just playing, you know, a disco beat, for lack of yeah, a better I, way. To put.
1: I've, I've always looked at his playing like he plays exactly what the song needs. Like our drummer does the same, Mark Richardson. It, it's about the song and about the music, not about what, you know, all those kind of tricks and the things that he can do. Because I think, in Jimmy, that way, that's, that's what you can hear throughout the record. It grew. I'm,
0: I've never had one. I mean, in 30 years of working with him on and off, I've never had one experience with Jimmy where he's ever wanted to impose his, his drumming thing on the song. He's always yeah. like Wh- whatever I need to do that's best for the song. And for a man of that ability is pretty remarkable. So fans don't understand when they hear Jimmy Chamberlain literally playing a, a disco beats because Jimmy Chamberlain thinks that's the best beat for the song. It's not yeah. because he's been sort of set in a corner and say, you know, this is what you have to play. So we're, we're really good like that, I think. And I think we've kind of circled back to let's just make great tracks because you get and you, I'm sure you have this sometimes. It's like you kind of get in the thing where people sort of expect a certain thing or they think you do a certain thing and they miss the thing that they thought they got before. And and we're we're always better when we just don't care and we just make whatever we think is good. And and one band that I learned that from is, is Joy Division going into New Order. Yeah. I remember exactly. being in the studio with them in the early 2000s and, and, and asking Bernard and and hooky kind of questions and they, about their transition from Joy Division to kind of like the electronic the sound of New Order, and they were literally like, "We just did what we thought was exciting. Like we didn't give a sh." And I was like, that's perfect. That's exactly, exactly. the way
1: it is. I mean, I think it's a, as a band, you know, as creatives, we're supposed to be the leaders and people follow the music. But I think if you kind of get it to swap the other way around, that's when I think the music can kind of get deconstructed and, and starts finding a new master, which is not in the band, which is not who the band are, you know? Yeah, so yeah, it's I, I feel beautiful. the same thing from fans. It's like, yeah, I know you guys like that, but if we only did that, you'd complain. <laughs> I was gonna ask you, so what about the way that you see the future? I mean, is this like a solid thing that you're going to do? Uh, I know you've done solo albums and uh, I know you have the wrestling, which is quite exciting. But are you seeing that, how you're performing now and how um, the band is now, are you seeing that this is gonna have legs and run and run?
0: Oh, you mean in terms of being together? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think it's pretty simple. I, I think I would say, I would put this on me. It took me a long time to accept that I was never going to do anything as important as the Smashing Pumpkins from, no. as a musician. Yeah. Now I might do something on my own tomorrow that ultimately becomes more important, but I needed to accept that to stop fighting it, if that makes yeah. any sense.
1: I like exactly and, how you feel.
0: <laughs> and then in turn appreciate, in turn, appreciate what James and Jimmy bring to the table and what we bring to the table together. Like really love and celebrate like, wow, this is crazy what we've been able to do. And and really just enjoy it. And I think we've we've entered a place where we're only going to pick it up if we feel good about it. We're only going to continue if we feel good about it. So there's no stress like oh I'm going to be in a position where I don't want to do something but I have to. Like those days are over. Everybody's got yeah. kids, and so I, yeah. I think that's created a real sweetness around what we do. And I think we'll just keep doing what we're going to do as long as it makes sense to. But there's no like there seemed to be no end date on it anymore because there's no fear around it anymore. Because if it's meant to go on, it will go on. And if it's not meant to go on, we'll just, you know, we'll still hang out. It's not like this makeup or breakup. Yeah. 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 For so many years, I think we felt such tremendous stress to, 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 to build relationships where we didn't have them because the band demanded that we get along in certain ways. I think we needed to be apart for years at different times to figure out what we wanted, what we didn't want. And so nobody's asking, anything of anybody that they don't want to give. And that's just such a different vibe than the way it was before.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine. I mean, I think it's that whole idea. I mean, you know, I've been, actually we supported you. I remember, um, one time we supported you was in uh, Spain and I remember it was sleeper. And then we came on and two songs in everything broke. So literally the stage, the lighting broke, the sound broke, everything. And we ended up sitting on front of the stage, just playing guitars for like about 20 minutes until uh, we thought, okay, that's it. And we came backstage and you were so lovely. You were just kind of like, hey, you know, skin that happens, you know, you just got to just, you had fun and whatever. And just, you know, you so lovely about it. And I was always remember that. I was always remember like feeling like, oh, this one time we are playing before smashing pumpkins and we have no sound. So
0: I don't um, remember that at all. That's the, de- the damage that I've done. <laughs> but I do yeah, I I was- remember playing a bunch with you guys. And uh, yeah, it's crazy, right? You look at the world that, that, that we were both in at that time. And, and, and you know, you're know, you so young, you don't realize what you represent to people, what yeah. they, they see in you, what they believe in in you. And, it, and it's so great to be able to look back and, and really appreciate that now. You know, yeah, exactly. I, I, and, and if you allow me to be indulgent, I mean, you were so ahead of your time. It's crazy. <laughs> you were like basic you were basically like a 2020 artist 25 years ago which is crazy
1: yeah it was difficult in those times you know we were kind of like um just like you were saying you know we were ourselves with no analytical thing going on and uh, we were just a band from london you know um trying to do lots of different things and trying to create our own sound so uh, yeah i thank you for that I think uh, one of the things that I was excited about talking to you about was the fact that you have created this brand new sound. I'm hearing kind of flexions of some, almost some kind of vintage uh, depression there with the keyboards and the vocals and and whatever, and this layers that you have and your voice has changed like thicker and whatever. is that, it was that a kind of um, deliberate change or was that something that happened over a space of time?
0: Um, I I think, um... I'll try to be succinct about it because I could literally talk about this subject for an hour. Um, I think I was very slow to understand that a new generation of music makers didn't make music the way we made music anymore. Yeah. So in my, in my estimation, because I had made contemporary music, it was like, Oh, I'm just going to do what I'll do. And I'll kind of, kind of lean it into something fresh. Music makers these days don't, don't go in with a set of drums. They start with beats, they, they're on Logic, yeah. they're doing all sorts of crazy stuff. They're, they're working with more space and more technology than we worked with. So then I tried to work with technology and I got super frustrated because I was like, this is too f-ing slow for me because yeah. I'm, I'm used to working really it's, fast. It's
1: hard to get that excited vibe as well, you know. About a I, conga
0: I, beat? Sorry, yeah. like, you know, the, guy, the guy's <laughs> like, check <"Let's get> this. <laughs> yeah, he yeah, yeah, let's a melody just, over that, man. man. Let's
1: jump over that. And I'm like, yeah, I've been doing it for five hours. I feel nothing.
0: <laughs> yeah. Thank you. So I think what I needed to do was it, my head kind of broke. I was working on an album that never came out for pumpkins called day for night. And my head literally broke. I had a like, like almost like a nervous breakdown. Wow. And I took the guys I was working with at the time to lunch. And I said, I, I can't do this. And I explained my reasons and they're close friends of mine. And I, they actually said, yeah, it makes sense. I get it. And you're right to stop. So in my mind, I was like, I'm done. I I can't do this. I'm just going to make acoustic records or like weird electronic records. I cannot, I can't fight the ghost of the pumpkin thing versus kind of like a guy with a conga beat. And somehow in breaking down and and getting frustrated, I was able to start wrapping my head around, well, what did bands do that I really loved? Like Ultravox or Sisters of Mercy or Susie and the Banshees. How did I, how did I respond to their music as being so fresh well, when I look back and really what they were doing wasn't too crazy. Like Sisters of Mercy was like drum machine, a guy playing bass and a guy exactly. playing guitar. But it sounded yeah. so alien to me, right? And so I started realizing the key for me was the 80s because I realized that the great bands of the 80s that I loved work with space in a different way. Mm. And once I understood that I could work with space in a different way, the way I work with space, I didn't have to be, I didn't have to try to be some SoundCloud rapper guy or or try to do the hyper HD version of what I used to do, which I didn't give a about anyway. I found this other space and I really started celebrating what I love about those types of artists and started getting really in the headspace of like, well, why did, you know, why did Sisters of Mercy do that on that song? Like, why did they make those choices instead of like sounding like Led Zeppelin? Why did, why did Wayne Hussey play his guitar this way, as opposed to the way Jimmy Page would have done it? And once I started breaking out, it was like the whole world opened up to me again. And I felt like, oh my God, I could do this forever.
1: Yeah, yeah. Because I mean, the pitfall to fall in is like basically some bands I've seen them just work with this producer because this producer was amazing dubstep producer. What's that going to be like? And the pitfalls I see is, is easy to fall in is the fact that, yeah, but then you've basically giving over your whole soul of your band to someone else to make it be cool and trendy. But it's yeah. not really you, you know, it's not touching you, it's not soulful. I think if, unless there's someone in the band and you understand it and you get it, then you can put it in your music, which is, I think, one of the things that we've discovered in Skunk, and also listen to other records from other bands that we, we mm. really appreciate. Um, and that's what I see in yours. I see that there's a deep appreciation of how the electronic music is going to work and how the grooves are going to work. It's a very, it's, it feels like it's a very groovy album. Um, and then at the same time, there's this lyrically, there's a spirituality there that I'm hearing, that I'm seeing, and that I'm. Almost slightly biblical language in some of the tracks. I mean, do you know what I mean? Do you know what I'm talking about? You're giggling <laughs> almost like a kind of like slightly kind of oh, okay otherworldliness. What what are what do you feel that the new album is about in terms of lyrics, in terms of topics and subjects?
0: That's a good question because um, I, I don't really know, and I know that sounds really strange to say. Um, almost all the lyrics on the album I wrote. Either the night before or the morning of the day I, I, that I sang them. Yeah. So I, I wrote really fast. Like, I don't give myself a chance to sort of over intellectualize. Um, I started working uh, about four or five years ago loosely with like what they would call the cut up technique, which Bowie used and they got from William yeah. Burroughs. The old yeah. school way was you, you know, you take a newspaper and cut it up and yeah. I started moving around. I felt, like I, I felt like I was being very repetitive at some point. So I started looking like literally I'll, I'll have a list and I'll, if somebody will say a word that I'm not used to using, you know, like, I don't know, ecclesiastical, I'll write it down on a piece of paper and I'll try to kind of put different words in. And then I'll try to like William Burroughs, I'll try to mash words together that create new textural things, almost like putting two sounds together that don't belong. I try to look right. for words together that don't belong. And there's this, um, William, I, I was a huge uh, devotee of William Burroughs, uh, the great author, and, and he talked about how there's, there's hidden violence in language. Mm. That if I could say, uh, I could say a sentence to you that would be totally benign, like, oh, I'm going to go to the store. But if I move some of those words around, you might get offended.
1: Mm.
0: Or you might think I'm, I'm, I'm taking the on you. So, you know what I mean? Like, it's yeah, interesting. Exactly, how, yeah. Right. And certainly in these days of social justice culture, people talk a lot about like, can't say this, can't say that. So kind of finding kind of hidden violence in words, but not in a way that's offensive, more of in a way of like, I don't really know what that means, but it makes me feel something. Yeah, I mean,
1: I think it's it's, it's different for, um, I think, band living in this age because intrinsically we get into rock bands or we get into things, that, we get into spheres that we've created ourselves because we want to be, do, you know, we don't agree with the systems, we don't agree with everybody else's doing, we don't want to have the same jobs and we want to be offensive and we want to be a bit dark and we want to be a bit angsty. And I find now it's kind of a little bit weird we're in this world where all of a sudden it's like, oh, you can't do anything because anything you do is going to, offend people I think people need to be a bit offended to be quite honest I mean I think that's the point of life is that you can't go through life in this lovely beautiful bubble where no one's offended and I think rock music is and indie music is offensive alternative music alternative music is offensive no yeah I
0: think I think I find it odd that that people are very comfortable with watching a movie where people are murdered people are tortured People are tariff, tariff, terrorized. People say and do things in movies that you know that the people doing the, the stuff in the movie, they don't represent those values. Yeah. And it's part of a kind of a play to allow a narrative and an emotional release through the, through the resolution of the story. Well, was David Bowie Ziggy Stardust or the Thin White Duke? You know what I mean? Was I the guy in the Zero shirt? no i mean yes and no but no so Mm. people have lost the plot where they're they have so overly identified with musicians as 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 if everything that comes out of a musician's mouth is representative of their own personal views um you know i i grew up in the school of of you're you're trying to release energy and Mm, sometimes part of releasing energy is offending yeah it doesn't it's mean you to want be. to hurt someone, you want, but you do want them to feel like, wait, why, what, what is that about? Mm-hmm. Um, so that said, if one can accept that the culture has turned into something different and it's probably not going to go back anytime soon, which seems to be the case, then I think you, you do what the Victorians did. You, you look for energy in places that people don't think there is energy. Yeah. you know there was a time when a woman you know wore, wore her skirt to her ankle and literally if a woman showed her calf it was like a like a
1: yeah like, okay. like
0: a big event right and in so some places there, in the
1: country is going back to that
0: probably so my yeah. point is that there, there are there are places in language where just a little bit of movement actually feels like a lot of energy because it's not places people normally go
1: yeah
0: um but what the what that kind of psychological process is for me, I, I honestly couldn't tell you. I could I could I could go on for hours about why I do things musically, tonal stacking and stuff like that. When it comes to lyrics, it's it's very mysterious to me. because um, I'll sing I'll sing a, for example, we'll play a song like Porcelina for Melancholy on stage. It's this beautiful yeah. kind of seven minute song. I wrote those lyrics like in one go. Um, because I needed to play them, I needed to play the song on stage the next day. So I literally just scrawled down, like da 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 da, like literally like, just bam, just,
1: like that. Wow,
0: Let's just make it up. Like, like, yeah, oh, yeah. that sounds prettier. That sounds cool. No meaning, no story, no narrative in my head. I just needed some lyrics to sing. I never changed them, and I'll sing them Whoa. on stage. Sing them on stage. Twenty-five years later, and I'm like this is so beautiful, and it seems to really like make sense. It just like, yeah.
1: Yeah. So, <laughs> You're like, just,
0: like, you guys, I just, just make that.
1: Up. I'm sorry about that and destroyed all these kids I mean I, <laughs> I think it's I think that's a wonderful thing because you know when we write lyrics people see so much in there and so I remember getting to the point I'm like where I'm like you guys see what you see and that's okay it doesn't have to be and that doesn't have to mean what I meant it can just be what you see and how you feel and so now I try not to explain lyrics too much just because I don't want to dis- destroy the myth you know, I don't want to destroy whatever. Um, well, it's, a bit, it's,
0: it's all valid, I, right? But I also think it's a bit like a painting, you know. Um, you know, anybody can look at a picture and see something different. So I think lyrics are like that. I think whatever, I'm cool with what any, anybody takes, you know. Yeah. But I do, I do think that we are, uh, and, and the rock community, by and large, I'm being general, has been sort of slow to respond to what is basically kind of a, a net of censorship. And, mm-hmm. and I think we've allowed ourselves to be blunted a bit by not being able to push back and say, I need to say certain things in certain situations. I'm not trying to be offensive, but I need to, I need to express myself. And I think by taking some of that out of rock music, we as a community have allowed ourselves to be neutered. Um, and okay, if that's the way of the world, that's the way of the world. But I, I think it does take away some of, the, some of the weapons that a rock artist needs to have to push mm-hmm. an audience. You I, know, have when, to,
1: I have to agree I have to agree with
0: that when, when Zach's saying in rage against the machine you know uh you know f- you I won't do what you tell me or whatever that line is you know is, is does he really mean that f- you you know what I mean he's not he's not saying f- you he's saying like this you know what I mean yeah he's so well he I has not
1: died. there's a, there's a, a picture that for me that track's always conjured up theres a certain kind of character that he's saying you f- you
0: right but I'm saying <laughs> in the yeah. living somebody could easily say well that He's yelling that at me, you know, and yeah. I and I'm hurt, yeah. and I, I think that's a bit strange. But okay, I'll just stick <laughs> exactly. to my I'll just stick to my arcane. <laughs> hide behind adjectives.
1: Exactly. What are, you, what are you doing for the rest of the day? What does your COVID uh, com- coronavirus days look like nowadays? I know you got to get off, so I'm gonna. Well, uh, I actually. Ask you this. I,
0: I haven't I haven't I haven't read your book yet but I know you just have a book out so congratulations yeah. on that, that thank that's you a big very effort. much
1: thank you very much <laughs> um,
0: I've been writing a book uh, about my life for approximately 10 years although I did I didn't wow. work on it for five of those ten years so I'm back writing the book I write the book probably about two hours every day and you know that's a, writing Listen, a book
1: is like- yeah, it's a <laughs> it's really harder it's than especially anyone. it's like you write the book and then you write the book five more times until you the get the
0: book. book so i write the book for 2 hours a day and then uh, we just reopened my tea house here where i live uh, it's a vegan plant-based uh, tea house so i'll go over there for lunch have a little lunch with the the the, the missus. and then uh and then i'll come back and work uh, uh uh you know basically in the studio from about 2 to about 7:30 at night uh, we, we're still doing, the, we're doing a massive uh, reissue of the band's Machina record, so we're doing a lot of tape transfers. Normally I'd work a little bit earlier. So basically, yeah. a normal day, I work about seven, eight hours a day in the studio. Right now I'm doing demos with Jimmy Chamberlain for new Smashing Pumpkin stuff. Um, I was about to ask you I get to spend some time with Jimmy every day and have a couple laughs and uh, Fun. play some yeah. drums and
1: yeah, well, um, well, listen. This has been wonderful. I, I, I hear you because I love one of the things I, for me, has been a silver lining has been regularity. Getting up every day, having a workout, doing this, writing this, and then afternoon is music, and then I stop at a certain time and watch Netflix and eat and cook food. So I think musicians, it's like a, it's a bit of a, a, a lovely moment for, for for the moments that we have it. But listen, I just want to say thank you for um, taking some time out. I, I got a confession to make. Yeah, you you my first ever interview for my um, radio show yeah ever you're, you're the first person I, i've I, ever i'm starting out in such class right
0: <laughs> wow but you're, you're a natural i would never have guessed
1: oh no thank you thank you billy um and yeah when you're next in london give me a call we're gonna have a drink right?
0: absolutely okay
1: Corgan round of applause please thank you Um, don't forget to like and subscribe to the podcast and leave a nice review if you've enjoyed it and if you haven't just still leave a nice review (laughs) Um, please get in touch with me tweet me at skin skinny with any of the comments that you have Um, you can catch me on absolute radio on sunday nights 10 to 12 at night the shows are available also on demand or on the absolute radio app too so you never have to miss it next time on skin tint join me with garbage's shirley manson see you then